The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are headed towards both the greatest part of the year and inevitably the worst part of the year. Yeah, I was going to say that's a I was going to say that's a double-edged sword because once the greatest time of the year ends, we get to the doldrums. Uh, we get to the point where I have to figure out what I'm going to watch on TV. <laughs> I mean, I'm a guy who watches anywhere from 150 to 200 hockey games a year. <sighs> and as any of our listeners know, I watch the NHL, I watch the AHL, I watch women's hockey, I watch college hockey. Uh, basically, if you put a bunch of 88-year-olds out there with their walkers and sticks, I'd probably watch that. What about that progressive or whatever commercial where they guys with hockey, playing hockey with pool noodles? <laughs> that one I probably would skip. Yeah. If the, it, it, unless there was nothing else that vaguely resembled hockey on. Well, in their defense, they did have gentlemen on skates on an, on a sheet of ice wearing hockey uniforms. However, when they're beating themselves up over the head with pool noodles, that was it was very cute. It was funny, like twice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They could stop showing it now, though. Thank you. Appreciate um, it. But. Looking at the standings, with most teams having four or fewer games left, um, teams like Buffalo Buffalo only has two games left. L.A. only has two games left. I'm amazed that even out in the Western Conference, there are still three ups, three playoff spots up for grabs. Because only uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Colorado have actually clinched in the West. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, in theory, Los Angeles, Nashville, uh, Dallas, Vegas, and apparently Vancouver are all still in the hunt for those last three spots. At least according to official numbers and calculations, it's possible that Vancouver, who is six points behind Dallas and Nashville, could actually theoretically make it. I... Yeah, I think I'm not Vancouver prepared would. to bet any amount of money on that, but okay. I think Vancouver would have to be the cutoff. Winnipeg at 81 is out. Yes, but flat out out. But L.A., L.A., Nashville, and Dallas are. It, it, it's more of the three of them jockeying for position. I don't know that Vegas. It's going to take one of those three to uh, just to lose to lose out for Vegas to get in. And Vegas, of course, has to win the majority of those games because they're four points back of Nashville and Dallas. Um, LA LA is the closest. They have 80. They got two games remaining. I I think it's safe to say at this point that LA will be in. Um, I want to say. I want to say that Nashville will be in, too. If there's a team that's going to drop out, it's Dallas. Um. And quite frankly, Dallas I'm playing. not sure that you deserve to be in the playoffs when you have a negative goal differential. 
is this a new rule? If you have a negative gold differential, even if you're in second place, you don't get in. If you manage to make it into the playoffs, into second place in your conference or division with a negative gold differential, it's time to throw the whole league away. Okay, so for, in comparison, you look at the East, the worst of the eight playoff teams that have qualified, the worst goal differential belongs to the Boston Bruins, but it's still a plus 29. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is one of those years where if they did what some people have been begging for the league to do for 20 plus years and actually had number one play number 16, number two play number 15, uh, number three play 14. Yeah, and so on. There would be like maybe three Western Conference teams left after the first round. I mean, it would set up, it, it would likely set up a final where you have, you might actually still see Florida, Tampa Bay as the final, which would drive the, which would drive a large portion of Canada crazy. I get um, I- I get why the NHL does it, though. I mean, you want an Eastern Conference team against the Western Conference team in the final. It, it, having two Eastern Conference teams in the final is is competitive, yes, but I kind of understand why they do it. Oh, I don't, I don't like the one versus sixteen, anyways, because I think it, I think it mm, ignores the value of building rivalries. Um, the in season, the regular season is where the league makes its most money and builds the momentum towards the playoffs. Am I more likely to go see Boston versus even, I don't know, Pittsburgh? Am I more likely to open up my wallet for Boston versus Pittsburgh than I am for Boston versus Edmonton? Yes, I am. And I think that most I think that most Rangers fans would rather see would rather have a rival a game against Toronto, who aren't their biggest rival, than against Los Angeles because it's just so much easier to engage. And when you talk about two smaller markets, Carolina and Nashville, yes, they're fairly close because Nashville's about as far east as you can get and still be in the Western Conference these days. Um, is Nashville really going to travel heavily to Carolina and Carolina really going to travel heavily to Nashville? Maybe, maybe, but what about say, take that same Carolina team and put them up against, uh, Colorado. I mean that honestly, to me, that sounds like a great final and a great series, Mm -hmm. but our taste. And I mean, I will watch nearly anything hockey. So, but is that is there any sort of history there to make that a a game where fans are going to get maximum engagement, ratings are going to be through the roof in both markets? You know, uh, for that no, for that rivalry, you'd actually have to go back to their prior establishments of Hartford and Quebec. Yes, so you're saying that most of those fans are now senile or dead. Most of those fans are probably not watching as much hockey as they used to. Yes. The current generation of fans 
while they may know the history, aren't going to be as wrapped up in it. The current generation is going to be it's Colorado. It's you might have some that go back to the Colorado Red Wings <laughs> rivalry. And that was oh, a beautiful rivalry. That three sided war every season between Colorado, Dallas and Detroit. Yes. Was some of the best hockey of our lifetime. And it is the it is the epitome of argument, along with Montreal, Boston. It is the epitome of argument for having more than four rivalry games a year, <laughs> or at least it was back then. Look, I've said for years that they need to rebalance the schedule and heavily bias it towards your own division. Oh, and the, you're not. the other division in your conference, and then only see half the teams in the other conference. Oh, and you're not the only one. You hear, you can hear Jack say it every year when he's calling Bruins games. I've said it. NHL purists have said it. Those who have been following the game for a long time. I think, the again, the newer generation is happier with seeing all 32 teams. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, but NHL purists understand the virtue of a rivalry and a, a heated rivalry. I mean, it's not even just you get more engaged play. You get more engaged play, you get more engaged fans. And those two things combine for beautiful hockey. Yep. Like even Washington, uh, take the Washington Capitals. They're not Boston's biggest rival. They never have been. Um, even during the height of the Holtby uh, magic against Boston. Yeah, when Boston couldn't manage to put a puck past him. Mm-hmm. It was it was intense because there was uncertainty on the Bruins' end. And the Washington Capitals fans had a lot of fun with it. But while it's not, while it never hit the level of like peak Bruins flyers or any point when Washington, when Boston and Montreal are competitive against each other, it was still way better than any Boston Vegas or Boston San Jose or Boston. I don't know, pick a team on the West coast game, you know, is good. Even when Boston was Boston won their cup and then LA won theirs the year after. The games were competitive. The fans were awake. (laughs) But you never got the, like, this building is vibrating treatment out of those games. It was vibrating. Bruins-Vancouver in the final was vibrating. But that was, again, the other part of the ingredient is the competitiveness. And what Vancouver had done as far as the whole biting incident and Lucic trying to Lucic yelling at, at Barrow, you know, come on, bite me, come on. You know, and, and the whole pumping the tires, you know, they were able to generate and get the excitement there, but that's the other ingredient of the rivalry is that both teams need to be competitive. It's not as much fun when Boston or Montreal is down in the doldrums and the other team is dominating the great equalizer being back in the 70s, 80s, even the early 90s, 
the fact that you could turn around and you'd have a lot of fights, a lot of physicality, and they're trying to weed that out of the game. There's not as many fights, obviously. There's more. That's why Marchand is kind of a throwback, because I think at times he recognizes that they need that pest. They need that. So having him... So having him and Gallagher on their respective teams kind of pulls it back to the old days. It, it's not nearly as physical as it was. It can be, but it, oh. I haven't seen it recently. I mean, Marchand recognizes it. You'll even see Bergeron in rare occasions deliberately take slashing penalties uh, because he knows that the team needs to be engaged and he's trying to stir up the other team to help it along. Well, yeah. I mean, when you see Bergeron actually take three penalties in a single game, you know that there's an engagement issue on the ice. And that level of engagement, that little bit of hate, it's great for hockey. Whether it gets to the point of fights or not, it brings focus to the players. It brings a higher level of focus well, that's than why simply I, wanting to win because you want to win. Well, that, wanting that, to I mean, win because you want to beat and embarrass the other team is a higher level of function, period. That's why when a team is struggling or they seem to be flat, you'll have that one guy who suddenly gets out there and kind of starts a fight trying to kickstart his team. Yep. And, and speaking of Boston... And this is something that isn't actually on our, but I wanted to get it out of the way because I'll forget about it by the end of the show. But speaking of Boston, oh, very quick tie a bow in the playoff part. This could be the year that something has never that has never happened in the history of eight team playoffs or whatever. Yep. Um, if Washington can get themselves one more point, every playoff team in the Eastern Conference will have 100 points, which is saying something. Which is um, remarkable. We're actually, we may actually have a year where there are, it's still actually possible, I think, for the, now the Islanders are not going to hit 100 points, so never mind. But yeah, eight teams with 100 points is utterly ridiculous. And in some ways, it makes me question the value of how, of how the draft is done. I know that there's a lot of a lot of human error involved and human talent involved in the draft. Mm-hmm. But when you look at teams who are perpetually at the bottom, um, you have to wonder if maybe having if maybe randomizing ten through twenty five or even twenty eight might not incentivize teams to do more during the season to improve. But that's, that's something we can talk about closer to the draft itself, because I need to put a little more thought into it. Yeah. Um, But let's dive on into. Well, well, like I said, the one thing I want to bring up because we don't have it on the board. It happened last night. Um, Bruins ended up beating the Rangers three to one. Very good game. They got their three injured players back, Olmark, Pasta, and Hampus Lindholm. One of those guys got a goal and an assist. Now, in in and of itself, don't give it much thought because it was Pasta. The big thing about that is that 
he managed to get to his 500th point in his career. The stunning thing is that he is the third fastest in Bruins history for players that started their career with the Bruins behind uh, some, again, some guy named Orr. I don't know. Oh, oh, Bobby Orr. Yeah. And another guy named Bork, uh, Ray Bork. So two defensemen at the top of the list. And then David Pasternak, third fastest in Bruins history. Now, you stop and think about it. His two former line mates, Bergeron, Marshawn, yep. no doubt both of those numbers are going up up above. The two guys ahead of Pasta are already in the Hall of Fame. You think about the guys that he's ahead of, the guys that they've had on this team, Johnny Busick. Uh, I'm gotten to you, you go through the number. Sergey Samsonov. You, you, um, go the, you go through the numbers that are up in the rafters, though. You got Johnny Busick, Cam Neely, Milch. He is third fastest. If you're going to tell me that Pasta's number is not at some point going to be hanging up there as well, uh, you better find a better argument because I've got all the cards right now. <laughs> hey, look, you don't need to convince me. I dubbed them the Raptors line a couple of years ago for a reason. But third fastest in Bruins history to 500 points. For a guy that you and I both, when he was drafted, went who? (laughs) 70% of the hockey world went who? Or also, and another 20% said, why here? Because, yeah, he was a reach. And And I'm pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure that that pick is in large part due to some some guy named PJ who happened yes. to be scouting in Europe at the time for the Bruins. <laughs> Thank you, PJ Axelson. <laughs> and finally, 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 the IAHF or the IIHF uh, women's under 18 is back and Katie LaChapelle has been officially named after multiple years delay, the head coach, um, she will actually get to lead the squad in June uh, in Wisconsin. She's a Lewiston, Maine native, uh, 24, uh, 2015 uh, Auburn Lewiston Sports Hall of Fame inductee. Um, she was originally picked to lead the women's group, uh, uh, the women's U18 group in May of 2020. We all know what's happened in the world in the past uh, two years and change. And again, she was reconfirmed uh, to take the duties this year. And we will actually get to see June 6th through 13th in Madison and Middleton, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, uh, the 2022 U18 championship take place. Um is in the article from the Sun Journal of uh, Lewiston. Uh, this is a Nathan Fournier article. Um, most of you familiar with either New England hockey or uh, ju- or um, junior hockey are familiar with him. Uh, let's see. She actually played on the Lewiston on Lewiston High's 1995 Boys Hockey State Championship team, uh, and then I'm played guessing- four years. Yeah, I'm guessing. I'm guessing that's because they didn't have a, a girls hockey team at the time. No girls hockey team. And and to be good enough to actually break 
onto the boys hockey team <laughs> and then go on and win a state championship. Yeah. Uh, she's been, she Clearly went, there was some talent there. <laughs> four years of Providence college and has coached as an assistant at union college, Niagara college, Ohio state, Boston university and, <clears throat> and college of the Holy cross. Um, she's actually been, she just finished her third season um, as head coach of the of the women's hockey team at College of the Holy Cross uh, in Worcester, Mass. Um, she's already had extensive USA hockey uh, hockey coaching duties, um, serving with the let's see U18s um, silver medal. Uh, she's uh, let's see, she's been a part of the medal winning teams the last several years, oh, especially against Canada. Three consecutive gold medals. Hmm. That's pretty good, I think. Three consecutive gold medals? Three? Yes. That's that's pretty good. That's part of her resume. Um, I'm thinking that's pretty good. So having her as the head coach was not only the – Yeah, there we go. The no-brainer. That's the phrase I was looking for. Not only the obvious choice, but clearly – USA Hockey would have had would have had a little egg on their face if they didn't give her the job. <laughs> She's clearly earned it. You look at this resume. <sighs> they canceled the one in January. I remember that because of the whole controversy with canceling the women's tournament, but they delayed a little before canceling the men's tournament. Oh yeah, that was uh Actually, they played like three or four games before they canceled the men's. Yeah. It was <clears throat> not the brightest move I've ever seen. By the IIHF? No, it was not. That was not a although, USA hockey thing. That was an IIHF thing. Although, admittedly, part of that is the host cities, countries, uh, regulations, and ability to deliver a safe product. So it's not entirely the IIHF, especially where they're held. They're usually held in different places. But, yeah, it was not a great look. Depending on depending on what network this ends up on, I'm going to guess NHL network. But the fact that this tournament was not canceled, it was postponed back in January. And Sweden has now given up the hosting rights and now it's going to be in Wisconsin it's going to be more convenient for me to actually watch the tournament. <laughs> yes, that's uh, that's a wonderful upside. And I do hope to hear when and where uh, the games will be available because USA, Canada, especially in the women's side, is always worth watching. Always. Oh, yes. Oh, and by the way, it, it, it did not, you know, it did not in any way pass Ms. Chappelle's uh, noticed that the extra five months gave her and the coaching staff extra time to prepare and get ready for this tournament. I granted it did for everybody else as well, but it, hey, it, it's going to happen. This is something that people should be excited about. Absolutely. Um, on to the blue shirts. Which ones? There's lots of teams that wear blue jerseys, sweaters. There's only one team that calls <laughs> that are called the blue shirts. Or 
Oh, this. Oh, are we gonna talk. Oh, okay. We're gonna talk about it. Yeah. We're gonna talk about Dave. Dave. No last Dave. name. Dave. Uh, so er, a couple of days ago, I came across the article: Kako's injuries may be blessing in disguise for Rangers. <sighs> the long and the short of Dave's article is that Capo uh, Kako, who has finally, finally, finally adjusted to uh, NHL play and has finally, finally, finally been delivering at a reasonable level, whether you consider it what you should, what you would expect of someone taking as high as him or not, um, or uh, he's actually been delivering like someone who belongs in the NHL. And Dave, 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 um, seems to think that it's, uh, a good time to squeeze the kid for uh, for more money out of his contract. Okay, so Capo Caco, in 41 games played this season, has a whopping 16 points, 7 goals, 9 assists. Now, he is a plus 8, which means that, okay, I, I guess he gets credit for being on the ice for more goals scored than allowed. Uh, he has 52 penalty minutes, so he's a little physical, but not overly so. His faceoff percentage is abysmal. Well, he's a right wing, so. Yeah, but Marshawn's Marshawn's a left wing, and his Marshawn's face-off... been in the league since uh, Kaka was, if not in diapers, certainly barely allowed <laughs> to cross the street by himself. His shooting percentage is. About average, 11.7. I mean, it, he's got two game winners. Yes, he's starting to come around. When he was drafted second overall, a, a lot of expectations were placed. A lot more placed. turnovers and things like that than you'd expect from someone taken so high. But what bothers me about Dave and his little article here is that Dave's blessing in disguise is that not that they're going to be able to bring somebody else in or, or that it opens up a roster spot. No, no, no. His whole point of this article is that this is great for the team because now, as you said, they can squeeze him because instead of giving him a two to three year deal in the two million dollar range, they can pay him less. Two million dollars. I realize that when you think about it, yeah, you and I don't make two million dollars combined. Little, yeah, yeah, it, it's two million dollars in a year. Two million. I'm sorry, but if you are, and I, I, if you are that set, and if Jury is that excited about being able to pay him less than two million dollars a year because he was injured, I need to start questioning whether Jury should be the GM. Absolutely. That's and ridiculous. Some of the underlying numbers for uh Kako, they're they're definitely improving. Like if you just take his even strength um points per sixty, his rookie year point eight uh points per game or per sixty rather Last year, 1.3 points per game uh, per 60. This year, 1.5 points per 60. Uh, given the disruption of his injuries, 
of the whole COVID situation, changes in coach, um, to steadily improve across all three seasons, that's that's something that you have to you have to hold in high regard. Different coaches disrupt the play or disrupt players, particularly young players. And someone who still manages to improve across that time, squeezing them for a quarter of a million dollars, half a million dollars. Well, yeah. Well, now instead of a two to three year deal at two million per, now you can sign him for a Sammy Blay deal at one year for one and a half million. Are you serious? Are, are you looking if you for don't him want to if you don't as soon as he gets free agent status? Just, I'm just thinking there are easier ways to tell a kid you don't want him on the team. Yeah, that just trade him. It, like if you're not interested in paying market value, just trade him. I mean, I'm hoping that the jury is, you know, smarter than Dave. Smarter than Dave. Yeah, I was trying to find a nice way to say it, and I couldn't. Uh, and, and I mean, if you look at his playoff percentage, uh, per, or let's see, not enough playoff, uh, not enough game history for there to be strong comparisons on Hockey Reference yet. But I don't think his overall numbers are terrible. Obviously, he could be doing better, um, but a lot of that comes down to the ability to get onto the ice, both what you're allowed to do. And he's had that wrist and a leg injury this year. Recovering from either is going to, in most cases, knock you back a little bit. <clears throat> in <clears throat> recovering from both is not, or recovering twice is definitely going to slow you down. But even in other areas, his shooting percentage, he started at 9.2, bumped to 11.1 last year. He's up to 11.7 this year, which means his, his shot selection has steadily improved. Uh, he's taken a whopping six face-offs or, or a whopping 20 face-offs in his career. Uh, so yeah, that 30% is not especially meaningful. Um, I do think he probably needs to shoot more, but that's. Despite that's, Paco's. Despite Kako's injuries, he's and, and this is the other thing about Dave that throws me is that he's trying to make both sides of the argument, I think, because in the middle of this, it says I don't despite think Kako, he knows what he wants to say. Despite Kako's injuries, he's one of the better play drivers for the Rangers this season. He's played just 553 even strength minutes and the Rangers have clearly been a better team with him on the ice. So but now you're saying that it's a good thing that they can pay him less. I, I did. Let's trot out one of mom and dad's favorite phrases. Okay. Uh, penny wise and dollar foolish. <laughs> because yeah, if they try and if they try and twist his arm into signing a show me deal for under two million, there's a good chance he's going to show him select fingers. Um, I, I just figured he I figured he'd turn around and show them his rear end walking out the door, but you know. Well, he'd still be an RFA, so they'd uh, they'd still own his rights. But oh, telling yeah. them in whether in words or gestures that he wants to leave, certainly possible. 
um, and whether he does it immediately or gets up to, you know, has a, has that breakout season everyone's been hoping for um, and then does it, that's uh, that's anyone's guess. Based on, um, because, based on Dave's article, though, it looks like he's improving. Oh, he's absolutely improving. The stats don't lie. Uh, and as weirdly lopsided as the scoring on that team is, because you have Kreider having a 51 and counting goal season literally out of nowhere. Kreider has a Kreider has a chance to actually surpass a hall a true Hall of Famer in Yarmir Yager for most goals scored in a season for the New York Rangers because Yager has Yager is tops with fifty four I believe he's got three games to do it um and I I would think it was incredibly foolish not to rest him at least one of those games. Yeah, he's just turned he'll turn 31 at the end of the month, but he's never had a 20. The most he's had in a previous season is 28 goals. You realize if it were you realize if this were baseball, everybody would be screaming for him to be tested, right? Absolutely. (laughs) I'm sorry, but you go from you go from a career never having 30 goal season to suddenly having 51. Yeah. That's kind of like Brady Anderson down in the Baltimore Orioles, who never hit more than 10 or 15 home runs in a season, suddenly hitting 50. They tested him and went, oh, wait, yeah, he's positive. Not for COVID. Yeah. Or performance-enhancing uh, <laughs> performance drugs. So, yeah, if this were baseball, Chris, you'd be getting tested. <laughs> um. From the Rangers, we uh, have a other another blue note to strike. Um, Montreal Canadiens, great five-time Stanley Cup winner. Uh, Guy Lafleur has passed at age seventy. Guy, Guy, Guy Lafleur. Sorry, not French. <laughs> no, but he is, so we could say it right. <laughs> Guy Lafleur, this guy, five-time Cup winner with the Canadiens, Hall of Fame. The numbers he put up in in the era that he played. This is a guy who was part of the no helmets era and the flowing locks that he had. You couldn't hide them under a helmet anyway. <laughs> Watching him, he was a Bruins killer. Watching him Bruin growing kill. up. It, it, well, he was an everyone killer, yeah, but. It was heartbreaking watching him because you just knew that at some point in the game he was going to go off and he was going to score a goal or two. It just the man's talent was through the roof, and he was an amb- and he was a huge ambassador for the game of hockey. And he will be sorely missed. Uh, condolences go out to Gila Flores family, the Canadians organization. And each and every one of his friends. Yeah. I mean, uh, played, with, played with the Rangers. They mentioned him a bu- They mentioned him a couple of times during the game yesterday. The Demon de Blanc. Not a chance to see the game. Uh, 
Uh, let's Wait. see. Bloody Monday is uh, is coming soon. Wow, we haven't even ended. We haven't even ended the season. We're gonna talk about Bloody Monday. Okay. Yep. Who's getting the chop? <laughs> well, if history tells us, making the playoffs for the first year with a team, Gila, uh, uh, Gerard Gallant. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Eh, he probably, you know. he, he's he's he he and Todd McClellan are probably my front runners for coach of the year. Todd McClellan of the L.A. Kings because I don't know. Did anybody expect 96 points out of the Kings? Yeah. No, no. If you did. You're lying. If you tell me you genuinely expected that many points out of the L.A. Kings this year, because I didn't. I will I will be free to admit that I'm freely admitting that I was way off on my prediction for them this year. Although if I suspect if we went back, I would say that that was probably the team I was least confident was going to be in the bottom three for the league. But I did expect them to be in the bottom three for the league. Um, <clears throat> where was I going? Oh, you know, someone right. else. I said Buffalo and they didn't. But who's going to get I, – I, I mean, do you give the Buffalo coach the chop after the way – they're six and four in their last ten. They've been – The Buffalo would, coach may, might actually be the best candidate for coach of the year. That's Dom Granado. He'd probably be my third. If I had to pick three finalists today, it would probably be Dom Granado, Gerard Gallant, and Todd McClellan. Because let's let's face it, uh, coming into this season, you had Jeff Skinner, Kyle Caposo, and then who was your third leading scorer expected to be? I don't think it was Tage. Rasmus Dahlin. A defenseman, which is never a good sign. This is true. Uh, I think so. that he, I think that he, he, he at least, he at least made these team better with the, with the way overdue, way overdue Jack Eichel trade. But if you told anyone at the beginning of the season on April 24th, yeah, Jeff Skinner would have 33 goals, 62 points in 78 games, and be their second leading scorer behind not Alex Tuck, not Casey Middlestat, not... Victor Olofsson, a resurgent Kyle Boso, who is, by the way, having a really good season, uh, particularly given the quality of line mates he's had in the last several years. But behind Tage Thompson, who would have 37 goals, 30 assists, and 67 points in 76 games. Why are you looking at... While you're looking at their stats, what does our buddy Anders Bjork have? Um, just a second. Now, Tage Thompson last <laughs> year in his uh, last year only played in 38 games, but his yep. previous four seasons, the highest goal total he had hit was eight. Wow. 37 of his 55 in 55 goals in 221 NHL games have come this season. 
So is it possible, and hear me out, is it possible, because it, it's happened in basketball, it happened here in Boston, but is it possible that having, you know, that Eichel guy on the Sabres was actually detrimental to the career advancement of Tage Thompson? I don't know. Some of me, a part of me wants to say no, because there's in basketball, there's only five guys, five guys play 70% of the minutes, but in hockey, that's really not true. Like even, even the best centers mostly don't play even a full 20 minutes, which means two thirds of the two thirds of the time available at that position is available or two thirds of the time available at that spot is still up for grabs from the other centers. Um, the other, the other side of that argument is that because yeah, if they move, they move on from Eichel, Tage Thompson gets to move into the top, gets to move on to the top line. He's thriving now. I guess my question on the other side or, or on the flip side of the coin would be, uh, why can't you do that all the time? You know, it, it, some of it is chemistry. True, true leaders make players around them better. He wasn't doing that until Eichel left, and then he could shine. So uh, there's two leader, sides to the coin. There's yeah, two but if sides he's a the true coin. leader, he would have stepped up regardless of who else was there. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So is there, you know? There are those who would say that Eichel was holding, you know, having Eichel on the team was somehow holding Tage Thompson back. I don't agree with it no, either. I think it's, some. I think a lot of it is is pure chemistry. You know, when we if we roll if we jump in the wayback machine and go back to uh, early Patrice Bergeron, he was playing with Brad Boyce, and Brad Boyce had some of played some of his best hockey with Patrice Bergeron. Um, Mike Knubel played a lot of his best hockey uh, when he, cause he was effectively a throw in on the, or was it Knubel or LaPointe on the 700 pound line? Uh, the 700 pound line didn't, wasn't LaPointe. The 700 pound line was Joe Thornton, Mike Knubel and Glenn Murray. Clint, and yeah, so it was Knubel. And that line, you want to talk about chemistry. But that's the thing. Before he got here, he'd had, you know, he had nine goals in 59 games before coming here. Um, his Then his first full season, he only had seven, seven goals here in Boston. Third season, he had eight goals in 54 games and didn't play much. And then all of a sudden, 2002, 2003, he gets put on that on that line. 30 goals. 30 goals in a single season after, and you're talking seven or so years into his NHL career. You, you just find that you, it basically it's finding that right mix. And, and the coach has to recognize it. The players have to recognize it. And of course, you know, guys, working at it does sort of help. Yes. Those three guys um, though, playing together, they just, they're all big. They're all physical. They all had skills. Joe Thornton, clearly, we know about his passing skills. We know just how good he is and probably one of the best passers in hockey. Uh, no, I Like, all time. I'm not talking five about just... In, absolutely top five that I've ever seen. And 
Glenn Murray was the goal scorer. Knubel was the... And it's sad to say on a 700-pound line that Knubel was the guy that was the... He was the big... But he was the... They were all physical, but he was the... He was the physical guy. He did the... He got the clean up in front of the net. He was he was the one setting the screens. You know, they all had their roles, knew their roles, even though the, all three of them were big six-plus, 200-plus pound... I mean, that line was just huge. <laughs> Mike Knubel's last stats were 6'3 and 223. Yeah. <laughs> and you look at the you look at that season, that first his first 30 goal, his first 20 goal season, because that's what it was. He hadn't he hadn't come anywhere near that before. That line had him uh, as the anchor with a mere 30 goals. Mm-hmm. Joe Thornton with 101 points and 36 goals uh-huh. in 77 games. And Glenn Murray uh, at 44 goals, 48 assists, 92 points in 82 games. Um, <laughs> yeah, that line, they, they were terrible together. They were horrible. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> horrible. Horrible um, together. I, I don't know why you would put the three of them together. Horrible. Back to the topic. I and, I have an, and I have an answer. Yeah. And it might surprise, it might not surprise, but I have an answer because I don't think it's going to be. It, it, it potentially could be Blashill in Detroit, but my answer for you, Peter DeBoer in Vegas. That one wouldn't necessarily surprise me, but I would honestly, given the number of injuries and who they came to, I would honestly say that I'm. I would be willing to give him one more season, or at least. No, nope. 25 games at the start of the next year. You fired Gerard Gallant to bring this guy in. I understand that. I don't. Gerard Gallant is doing what this year with the Rangers? Oh, wait. They're fighting with Carolina for first place in the Metro. Uh, Gerard Gallant is doing it again, which he did for you back when your team was in their inaugural season. Uh and you got rid of him because you thought the team was getting stale. You brought in Peter DeBoer from San Jose, and under Peter DeBoer, they have not. Mm, no, I, I I think this year the injury thing may save him, but uh, production-wise, I don't think that he was the right fit, and I don't think that I think they need to find. It might be time now, to find somebody else. Now, production-wise, I, 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 yes, I think I agree with you that I don't know that he's a marvelous match for that team. But when you look at the fact that their top, their entire top line was out at one point. In fact, Riley Smith has spent most of the year in the AHL. Um, I don't know if he's just lost a step, but. Uh, Someone I think that might end up getting uh, getting punted is Lindy Ruff. Really? I think that New Jersey team is – I think that team is actually better than what we're seeing. They've gone through seven goaltenders. I They've played more goaltenders than some teams have played, like, extras and bench players. I completely Seven understand that part, but but you, you want to make their, when you look injury. at their actual team. Yeah. 
uh, when you look at the players on that roster, if you were to start, if you were at back in September penciling players in mm-hmm. for what for reasonable expectations of stats, Jesper Bratt gonna land about where he is. Nico Heischer, yeah, he missed some time. Jack Hughes missed some time. But you're getting a little bit more out of Igor uh, Chernovich than I would have expected. But Dawson Mercer, might you might expect a little bit more of him. Dougie Hamilton, uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure that was a great signing in the first place. Dougie Hamilton clearly underperforming. Uh, he... I, I think he is underperforming. Um, I think Subban is underperforming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy VC has and, completely evaporated there. Jimmy VC never blossomed anywhere. I never said he was great, but he's completely evaporated. <laughs> I mean, seven goals is seven. Seven. Yes. It's more than six, less than eight. It's seven, yes. He is uh, also a minus 23, just saying. <laughs> In um, case you were wondering, yes, that is the worst plus minus on the team. <laughs> and I don't even know what happened with – I don't even remember what happened with Miles Wood and Nolan Foot. I want to say that Nolan Foot was even moved out at one point, but – But there's gold Admittedly, I'm not a big Lindsey Ruff fan, so I may be biased there. Yeah, goaltending is for crap. But they've gone through seven goaltenders. Well, I don't know if it would be just Lindy getting uh, the boot, though. Who's in charge of that team? Is it still Shero? It is Tom Fitzgerald, who has oh, been Oh, that's there. right. Mr. Fitzgerald from, from Bill Ricca. He has been in charge of the team as executive vice president uh, two years, seven months, and 17 days. He was interim general manager for five months and then became general manager. Admittedly, he's only been been holding the GM title for a year and nine months. But I mean, some we- of his signings. He's the one who signed the Hamil- who signed that Hamilton deal. Thomas Tatar. He signed Bernier and Corey Crawford and and all of the goaltenders who are <laughs> performing like no or and not performing. <laughs> all of the um, goaltenders riding around on the carousel. Yeah. Yeah, he brought in that entire bandwagon full of nothing. Okay, so before we wrap this up, I want to mention two names and go first thoughts, and then we can wrap it up. Um, one from each con- one from each conference, Eastern Conference. Barry Trotz. Yeah. Yeah. Gone? Not gone? I think gone. I mean, they're close-ish to a playoff spot at twenty points out. Yeah. Okay. Did, did. That's like that's like shooting for a target and hitting outside of the outside ring. Sorry, no. But they're much missed. closer than most other teams. Oh, okay. So 
because he's the best of the absolute worst. Yeah. He should get a pat. I don't know. I, I don't want to think of Barry Trotz as getting fired because his team is terrible, but they're not going to get rid of the players. So it's the coach who ends up paying the price. And I think that it's possible that Barry could end up going bye-byes in on the Island. And my Western if he conference. Does, yeah. If he does though, I, I think that the general manager should be uh, removed with him because so whoever the GM is and Lamarillo, Lamarillo, Lamarillo assembled a grab bag of not much. Well, the thing is that Lou goes and makes deals and brings in guys like um, JP, uh, PJ, uh, uh, yeah, PJ Pajot or JP Pajot, whatever that is. Pajot, which is a great, which is a good deal. He's a third line center. Getting Pajot was a really good, he's a good 200 foot player. Uh, but then following that deal up and bringing in Parise and Paul Mary and nothing crickets. It was terrible to bring both of those guys in. You could have done so much better by putting some of your young players who can still skate um, and still, have some energy. Didn't they still have sports. that Hosang kid in the minors at the time? No, he's uh, he's now um, no. But at the time they made the Parise and Palmieri deals, they did. Oh yes, yes they did. Okay, just saying. So, unfortunately, I think Barry. Yeah, and Barry might get a, a chop. And the Western uh, Conference team, Rick Bonus in Dallas. They need to make it out of the first round for him to be safe. Like they legitimately need to make. And play in the second round. Otherwise, I purposely pick, I purposely picked them, even though they're in a playoff spot, because I don't. I I got the feeling that even making the playoffs bonus might be. Um, I think they, he might be a little warm. He ha- he absolutely has to justify it with 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 winning at least four games. He's going to be doing it with a very young goaltender. I mean, he almost has to win seven games in order to hold his job. Like he has to push the West or his second round to a full seven games in order to, in order to hold his job. Fair enough. And that's, that's going to be hard because they're coming in and they're going to face either Calgary or Colorado in the first round. I mean, winning there would be a major thing, even though Colorado has not done well in the playoffs in the last couple of years. Um, and yes, uncle Lou has been uh, GM in almost four years now. And mm-hmm. not, not impressed with this run. So just, um, just to uh, the Dallas stars are going into these playoffs and like I said question questioning they actually have slightly more goaltending experience in the playoffs than the Bruins because Jake Ottinger managed to get into two games in the 1920 was that the summer pretend offs or whatever I believe so bubble hockey yeah and had eight saves allowed no goals so he's got a save percentage of perfect played a whopping 36 minutes, and I do believe that um, 
Swayman has a whopping like 33 or 23 or whatever the hell it is. That's definitely more than Swayman and definitely more than Elmark, who has uh, 0.0. But the backup for Dallas is Scott Wedgwood, and in his lengthy career, he has a whopping 0.0 minutes in the playoffs. Um, You know, there might be a new broom mentality applied in Dallas, too, because— Jim Nill has been there just short of nine years now. Their window is closed. The problem with them is their window is closing because Ben. I think their window might be closed. Ben over 30, Sagan over 30. No, they do have Rope. They do have Rope Hintz. They do have Guriana. I love Hintz. Oh, I love Rope Hintz. Are you kidding me? Can we get him away from Dallas somehow? Um, uh, I even think Foxa is a solid player. Um, Pavel, Pavelski, granted this year, I think that he managed to make a trip to St. Augustine and drink from the fountain. But I think that they still have I think they have three, at least three solid young defensemen in uh, Heisken and Lindell and Klingberg. I and mean, Essel Lindell is just I don't know if Klingberg is going to be sticking around, but. Oh, Klingberg's a UFA and. Right. Uh, He's going to be getting a raise regardless of what some people might think. Whether it's in Dallas or not. I mean, whether they, it's in Dallas or not. And and they still they have Yanni Hockenbach, who more defensive defenseman than I, they have a good team. But I think they're a little bit on the aged side, especially up front when you've got Jamie Benn. Uh, I mean, ben, Tyler Sagan and Jordy is the youngest of their big three. Or yeah. big four, if you want to call it that, with Radulov is. Radulov is 35, if I'm not mistaken. Pavelski yep. is 37. Ben is like 32 or 33, 34, somewhere in that range. 30, uh, 32, yeah. But they have good young players, too. Jason Robertson. Oh, fabulous. Rope Hintz. Yes. Miro Heiskin. They have good young players, too, but their window is closing. Well, the other problem is, is that. Not only are Sagan and Ben uh, aging, but they have big contracts with no movement clauses. Mm-hmm. Um, so whoever replaces Jim Neal, whether it's this season or next season, uh, or they're going to be stuck with those. So there's a list of four. Anyway, I mean, I just didn't want to talk about the obvious ones. Blashill and Detroit could be gone. Yes. OK, great. You know, are they going to replace the guy in in Chicago? Well, they replaced um, Colleton during the season. So will this will they give this guy a full season or not? Maybe, maybe not. You know, they're not going to replace Hackstall in Seattle because oh wait, it's his first year with a new team with an inaugural, you know, inaugural players this time and everything else. It, there are obvious ones that you could sit there and say yes, but. These are the four. These are four that I think mm, could be could surprise us. Um, I think the Jets are jetting toward, or Winnipeg is jetting towards change too. Um, Lyle Richardson, Specters, uh, Specters hockey, yeah, uh, reports that multiple players, uh, including Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers. Paul Stasny and Josh Morrissey, and one of those names is not like the others. One of those things doesn't belong. 
um, have said that the team needs a culture change. Um, okay. And most interesting among the rumors uh, is them pointing out that uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's had a weird three years, um, very weird, uh, and Blake Wheeler might actually be available, as uh, the other rumors, of course, that Mark Shifley uh, might be available. Yeah. I'm and sure he's not going to Montreal. <sighs> the thing is, Patrice Bergeron is 37 years old. Yeah. They didn't replace David Krejci. Yes, I think that the chemistry that Hall established with uh, Pasternak and Hall is great. But if Bergeron retires or leaves the Bruins otherwise. Yes. They need a number one center. And they do as much as I would love to see Jack Stadnika or John Beecher or pick another prospect or whoever they draft this year, just walk into the role. Given the makeup of the front office from the coach, from the coaching staff upwards, not going to happen. Just not. Shifley could be a good replacement. He's not a Berger, he's not made in the Bergeron mold, but he's a very, very, he's a very solid player. Mm. Mark Shifley, no. Uh, he's talented, yes. I, I don't know, I think... Part of me is but thinking. He's, he's, I mean, it's unfair to compare him to Bergeron, even as a Bergeron replacement. Yeah. That I said, that. he's over a point per game this season on a noticeably underperforming team. Okay. Um, is, you know, you look at the goals for differential and the uh, the fit. Uh, oh. Some of these stats make no sense to me um, looking, but he's not, he's probably better than you're otherwise going to find available on the market. In fact, I'll say he's better than you're otherwise going to find available on the market. I mean, I can't think of any other center who's going to be, who is likely to be, at least attainable, even if you might have to overpay um, this season, in the next year or two. J.T. Miller. Who? J.T. Miller. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> I'm not giving up on it. <laughs> not giving up on it. I don't know. They're both 29. Shifley's got good size, 6'3", 207. I think I need to convince myself that he's worth it. I I can't come up with a good argument against it, but there you some, go. Somewhere gnawing in the back of my mind is no. And, okay, and, do I think that he is the next Hall of Famer to take? 
a to pull on a Bruins jersey? Probably not. Do I think that he's capable of winning a face-off when it's important? Yes. No. I'm sorry. The man's best face-off year was 2017-18 with a whopping 51.25%. Which is better than most people who never break like 48% ever. Okay. I, I just, I, I feel like we're settling. I don't know. Who's better and available. That's, that's the, that's the, that's where you have to work from. Who's better and available. And Shifley is a UFA at the end of the season. Uh, Shifley is a player at the end of the season. Yes, he is. As are 800 or so others. I just Shifley, don't know. Shifley, Shifley is a. He's actually a UFA in two more seasons. So six and a quarter or 6.125 for two years. That's a very friendly contract for a guy who's over a point per game. I'm going to have to do some comparison. Comparisoning. Yeah. Um, I think that you I and remember if you're pairing him with Marchand as the as the replacement on the top line, mm-hmm. you're automatically getting at least one person who can be the strong defensive player. I think that Shifley's probably around league average there. I don't see him as much as I would like to because I do enjoy watching the Jets play. Um I, for me and, I think for me, I think part of the issue is whether and and yes, I keep going back to JT Miller, but I think getting I, I think the problem with trying to get either of them is that both organizations are going to be looking for things that the Bruins don't have. That's that's a that's a big issue, uh, especially both that. guys having term. You know, they're both they're not UFAs. I think that Shifley is a, a bit closer to a league at, uh, to a league number one center than JT Miller is. I think JT Miller is a very good number two center. I don't see him as a number one. Really? I think he's a better 200 foot player than Shifley, but I don't know that production wise he can keep up with Shifley. Really? He's also a little bit older. JT Miller. They're both 29. JT Miller, who has on Vancouver 96 points, a plus 12, 30 goal score. I had. When did he explode? He's also better in the face. He's also better in the face off dot. Uh, I looked at his numbers this year, earlier this year, and they were nowhere near that good. I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 tough because I 
I think if I ran comparisons side by side, and that's why I said I'm going to have to run some comparisons to be certain. But this is definitely his uh, JT Miller's best season. I mean, he had 72 points in 69 games his first year with Vancouver. I mean, just but, the total raw total raw numbers: 642 games for Shifley. 230 goals, 577 points. Mm-hmm. Um, for Miller, what happened to my tab? <laughs> uh, there it is. Uh, for JT Miller, 634 games, 167 goals, 451 points. JT so, yeah, Shifley has outproduced him annually. Fair enough. That said, I clearly was robbed by not watching more more Vancouver games, despite how terrible they were for a good portion of the season. Because yeah, because you missed 66, out on sixty six assists doubles most most of his uh, career seasons. I mean, his previous high in assists was forty five. Yes, and last year he only, admittedly, in a shorter season, he only had thirty one. Uh, but going back even to the 16-17 season with the Rangers, where they went 12 deep into the playoffs, he only had 34. He wasn't he wasn't playing top line minutes that then. And he's never crossed even 25 goals before, much less 30. Um, but, now part of that is that goaltending in the league this year has been <coughs> le garbage. But JT, JT Miller's shooting percentage, 15, 14.2, 16.4, 12.4, 22. Now, the 22 is an anomaly. You know, yes. And then you got 13, 16. But uh, dare I say a little more accurate? Yes. Part of that is because le garbage. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like I said, this is, this, this is a deeper dive, so... I like both players. I'm still not wild. I think part of me is, remember that bias you were talking about with Lindy Ruff? I think part of me is still bothered by what Shifley did to, uh, what Shifley did to Jake uh, in Evans, in the playoffs, yeah. Jake Evans, yeah. And I'm sorry, but that kind of behavior was, is just not. It was, it was stupid. There's no question about it. It was stupid. Um, but you know, it was one event and it's not like it's, we're not talking, we're not talking Tom Wilson or Sean Avery here. God, thank goodness for that. (laughs) Jordan Dumay. A name I have not heard until I saw it on the list here. And now I know why, because he hasn't played in the NHL yet. Uh, yep. Halifax Moosehead, right wing, uh, who will be eligible for uh, the draft this year. Uh huh. On the nineteenth, he had he tied a franchise record for six assists as a right wing in the Mooseheads' nine to three victory over Cape Breton. Thinking Cape Breton isn't all that good. Uh, Cape Breton, I'm hoping that was their worst night of the season for their players and uh, ownership. 
But the thing, um, the thing is with this Jordan Dumais, and I don't know much about him. I haven't had a chance to watch video or do any scouting of my own. But looking at his rankings, I mean, FC Hockey, I, I don't know, they're at 95, but McKean's 52, Central Scouting for North American Skaters, 72, Recruit Scouting, 61, Dava Prospects, 39, Draft Prospects, 78. They're all over the place. Eh, it's all late second to early third. Okay. Which is which is about what happens once you get outside anyone who's a consensus top 20. I mean, clearly he's having a breakout season. This is his second year with Halifax. Uh, his first season, 40 games, he had 29 points. This year, 66 games, he's got 104 points. And he just turned 18 like a week ago. I mean, he's he's of the new the the new generation of of hockey players that are under six feet and under 180 pounds, like a Suzuki or Kyler Yamamoto or <laughs> Brad <what>? Marchand. <laughs> Brad Marchand, yeah, okay. It, I mean, I wanna, David Krejci was listed at six feet. I don't necessarily believe that he was. <laughs> Um, and after about his fourth season, he stopped getting hit because he actually looked up at the at what was going on around him. But six assists in a game is not uh, – you can't make that up. I mean, it's not like – oh my That's goodness. not an accident. <laughs> yes. It's not an accident. So he, he must have – even if you say two of them were like accidental variety, like he happened to touch the puck before it went in type of thing. Yeah, the puck went off his you know, butt and then to the spike of someone else. He must have some sort of, of vision and, and passing skills in order to get six assists. He understands the game. Not so, just not just pure athletic ability, but understands the game. Uh, hmm. So when your team is drafting any time after, say, 50 and before 90... And you see this guy, you know, you know who to thank. All of his coaches, yeah, and his parents, and his teammates. Okay. And his new agent. I mean, you heard about him from us because many people, many many people had not heard of him before. But if he lands on the Bruins roster this offseason and he does fit the mold by being slightly undersized and skilled, um, I uh, I probably won't cry. Do we think that the Bruins are going to take a right winger? No. I mean, history says the answer to that question is no. There you go. <laughs> now, if they were to somehow accidentally put a C after his name. Yes. I mean, he also does have a younger brother uh, who is only an inch shorter, but three years younger um, and about 15 pounds lighter at this point. uh, Justin. Um, He's also uh, he'll be eligible in a couple of more years. uh, So keep your eyes open. And like like you said, you know, it, it. 
the possibilities. I mean, second, mid-second, we're not talking about some guy. And he's not going to be expected to jump right into. He's not going to be thrown into the NHL and expected to score 40 goals in his first season. No. Which is a good thing. Honestly, I don't I don't think anyone should be expected to score 40 goals in their first season. Um, so, uh, looking into my magic eight ball, um, magic eight ball, my magic eight ball. And of course the LA times, uh, thank you, Kevin Baxter. Um, I am predicting that the NHL world series, uh, or international series, whatever they're calling it this year or, and next year and the year after might, might, might just be making an appearance in Mexico city. Why? Because the LA Kings are holding uh, camps and learn to play uh, events in in throughout Mexico at at this point. Okay. Um, according to the Mexico Ice Hockey Federation, um, two uh, twenty six or just under twenty seven hundred players participate in the sport in Mexico. Um, 1,600 of those are junior players. Um, it's likely uh, they're they're calling that number an underestimate, and no, 1,700 isn't a uh, 2,700 isn't a huge number. But Mexico is the third most populous nation in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. If another if another country is going to jump into the NHL or even developing feeder teams, whether it's AHL teams or even ECHL teams, it might be Mexico. Um, Brazil is not there yet. Uh, Mexico <laughs> still has that daily exchange of people who cross the border, um, working on one side or the other. Uh, okay. Wait, I read that. I, finally read the actual I skimmed this before but I and first of all hey this guy put his last name on the article uh, the LA Times probably does require that unlike the uh, blue shirt blog Kevin Baxter no I love the way this article opens Ian Tarazona's black helmet is so big it looks like an upside down satellite dish and his oversized hockey sweater hangs to his knees but don't let appearances fool you Ian is a terror on the ice at one point during a recent practice, Ian skated up to another player, pulled his stick back, and cracked him over the head. And that player was a teammate. Didn't qualify as assault because Ian is only three years old, and the player he whacked, who was unhurt, is five. <laughs> I like the kid already. <laughs> but it did serve as proof that it can be a challenge introducing little kids to any sport. And when the sport is hockey and location is a shopping mall in Mexico City, that challenge only grows. And it turns out the guy who's coaching them, actually, he actually coaches four dozen kids. That's 48 for anyone who's having trouble mathing at the moment. The um, oldest is seven. <laughs> I, I have done coaching. Uh, not for hockey, but I have done coaching for groups of kids. My hard cutoff is like 15. So um, kudos, you very, very brave and foolish man. 
but it, it, it's in a shopping mall. It's not like a designated. It, it's they, not like a dedicated. A, ice it has an ice rink. rink. That's all you need to know. I mean, great. It, it, you know, hockey players will skate anywhere just about, and this is proof. And I'm so glad that they are bringing the sport to a culture where it's certainly unexpected. Hey, they I mean, do have the Mexico does have a national ice hockey team. But how much do you hear about internet? How much do you hear about Mexican ice hockey? How much do you hear about ice hockey in the UK? They have the EIHL, but you never hear about it. They made a big deal that that kid was drafted a few years ago. Ian somebody or Lucas somebody or whatever it was, you know, drafted in like the sixth round. But he was the first player ever taken in the draft from the UK or, or, something, or from the EIHL or something like that. I mean, it, 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 it's not something you hear about. I mean, yes, they have an international team. And even when they cover international team, international Mexico hockey, probably has less indoor rinks than Essex County in Massachusetts, but um, I'm glad glad that the, I'm glad that the Kings are exploring their options and there's it. it, Is this, are they just, are they subsidizing this or is this their way of scouting like well into the future? It might be both. Like it really might be both. I mean, don't um, get me wrong. They do that in soccer, where they have the you know the teams in Europe have academies, and they they'll bring kids in starting at like I don't know six eight years old. They live there. They go to school. The team educates them. The team teaches them soccer, and then when they're old enough, they end up playing for that team. It's an it's an interesting model. It's not something we do here in the states, but well, here's soccer. another here's another idea. The NAHL already extends to southern um, southern Texas, and I want to say into New Mexico as well. Adding four or five teams in Mexico, not the worst idea, particularly if you can get them uh, into places where Americans travel. I mean, it's probably a stretch just distance-wise, to put someone in, to put them in Cabo or something like that, but long term, yeah, I can see uh, the the NHL playing neutral site games in Mexico if there's uh, if they can generate the interest and there's an appropriate stadium. I'm all for it. I mean, Play. just the exchange rate alone. Uh, means that the NHL is going to not spend as much, um, and that tourists, you know, non-Mexicans, can fill out the arena uh, because you know you're going to land on the ground uh, and not really have to pay as much and get to see someplace new. I've never been to Mexico. If I had a chance to go see the Bruins and the Golden Knights play a game in Mexico City or in Cabo or wherever else they might happen to play. I mean, I'm all for it. Skinny you, minute, I don't want it. <laughs> I'm all for it. Build a rink wherever it is and then have the NHL go play. Anything to grow the game. And by the way, the ice rink is tucked into a dark corner of the shop, Mexico City shopping mall between a Dairy Queen and a Carl's Jr. below a Sears. Absolutely. 
and dedicated people, yes. One guy, Roberto Ariaga, his three boys all play hockey. He makes a three-hour round trip from Toluca to this mall as many as five nights a week. Hey, and the exchange mm-hmm. rate for uh, the Canadian dollar to the peso right now, His, one Canadian dollar is about 16 pesos. His quote, a lot of friends tell me that I'm crazy. End quote. Hey, he's doing what he loves, <laughs> and what he loves is hockey, so it's not wrong. It's his sons. He drives his sons. He spends as much time in the chili bleachers overlooking the ice as he does running his business. A um, couple more stories to jump into really, really quick, because uh, we are running towards the end of our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip Forsberg has been robbed of his uh. rightful place in history by Matt Duchesne, of all people. Oh, really? Um, Matt Duchesne beat him to being the club's first 40-goal scorer by, I believe, one night. Ah. Yeah. One night. Now, I know that in Nashville, they're all going to celebrate, you know, how great Matt Duchesne, you know, 40-goal season, this, that, and everything else. Uh, I don't think his time in Nashville has been good. As exciting as... <laughs> I don't think it justifies the contract that he's been paid. Oh, no, 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 no. That, it certainly does not. But they're going to celebrate that this guy, you know, 40 goals. I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, if he was giving me 40 goals, like, multiple years in a row, maybe... Even 35, 30 or 35 goals, but last year, Duchesne, six. Matt Duchesne is a guy I have never been really impressed with. And I will. And the thing is, he's he's not been impressive anywhere. Prior to this, he had one 30 goal season back in 15 16 for the Avs. His playoff numbers are meh. Was he not a number one overall? It was a number three overall in the 2009 draft. Oh, okay. And that was Tavares, Hedman, Duchesne, and then Evander Kane, Braden Shen, Oliver Ekman, Larson, Nazim Kadri, um, a complete whip on Scott Glennie, who had one game and two assists. Jared Cohen, a name I haven't said in several years. <laughs> uh, Magnus P- uh, Payarvi, a name I haven't said in several years. Mm-hmm. And then at number 11, some schmuck named Ryan Ellis, who I've never, who's never mounted to anything either. Oh, by the way, speaking of Mr. Kane, <clears throat> he's played, what, a whopping half a season with Edmonton? Yes. Already has 20 goals, 36 points in 39 games. Yeah. Oops. Plus 24. <laughs> yeah, he has 36 points in 39 games for them this season. Yes. That's uh, definitely terrible. Um, so jumping what are the, into, what are the chances he's going to resign? <laughs> I don't think they can afford him. I don't know where he's going to land, but I don't know where he uh, – but I don't think they can afford him. Uh, poll question last week and a question we asked on the show 
which is still to be decided because they could uh, they could retreat from the number a little bit. But um, can last week when we did the show, the Panthers had a plus ninety four goal differential through seventy four games. Yeah. Ask the question: Can the Florida Panthers crack plus a hundred this year? Right now, they are at one hundred and four, and all of the votes uh, in the poll were for. Um, we're for a yes. Um, maybe, I, I, maybe it was a lot easier than we thought it was. I don't know. My first thought was, was that easy. Uh, because I mean, plus a hundred is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of goals scored. <laughs> it, it is. And they, they had just had two noticeable injuries. Um, their defenseman, uh, Aaron Ekblad. Aaron Ekblad had just been injured at the time, and we know how far downhill they went uh, last season when he went out. Admittedly, he wasn't down as much time this time, uh, but still something to be noted. Wow. I just. Plus 100. When a lot of people were even weren't even picking them to do that much this year, I, I find it very amusing. Um, I'm it's, just stunned. And Anthony Duclair has learned how to shoot the puck. Apparently, yes. It's time to uh, tip the cap and tap the stick to Aaron Gehen, uh, the forward for the Buffalo Buttes. Uh, three seasons in the league has decided to hang the skates up. Um, congratulations to her um, in that in her first season for the team. Uh, she had her best year with uh, 16 points in 24 games. Um, West Seneca, New York is uh, where she's born. Um, good luck to her in everything she does. I hope she enjoys hockey uh, from the stands as much as she did from the ice. And you have a story on Georgiev. Uh, you have an entry on Georgiev? Georgiev? Yes. Georgi Merkulov? Georgi Merkulov, sorry. Uh, Georgi Merkulov is in the Bruins system? Yes. And Kirk Ludecki, who we both know and get along with, and I I respect him. I'm assuming you do as well. Uh, Love Kirk. Yeah. So a lot of love to Kirk. I guess this this one throws me. A tweet that he sent out. He figured in both. This was his first game in Providence, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. He figured in both regulation goals, primary assist, buried a shootout Gino, legit skill player. Bruins traded their first in 2022, but signed a first-round talent who is four years older than the kids who will be drafted in July. He is the team's best prospect at center, a player who has not played any time in the NHL, is playing his first bit in the AHL and he has vaulted himself to best prospect at center. 21 year old, 5'10", 163 pound 
center out of Ryazan, Russia. Are we that shallow in Providence? Yes. Look, the Bruins have been rated in the bottom six or seven teams in the league for uh, prospect pool depth for years. At least five or six years. Um, for those wondering, um, I mean, I understand that you know, Fabian Lysel is is still floating around in in where is he? He's out in Vancouver with the Giants. Mason Lowry is still at Ohio State. Mark McLaughlin got promoted. I understand we have some nice pieces. And so does Kirk, but to, to, to vault a guy who's played one game in the AHL and say he's the best prospect, I do not have high hopes for the Bruins minor league system if that's the case. Neither do I. And you said it yourself, I think, before the show that, no, 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 when we were talking about Shifley, uh, Shifley versus uh, Miller, that, you know, these teams are going to want something the Bruins don't have. Ding, 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 ding. Kirk is one of my favorite, probably my favorite individual hockey prognosticator. And when it comes to prospects in particular, I'll take his word sight unseen over pretty much anyone's. Um, He's seen the rest of the prospects in the system extensively. If a guy can come in and now he's done nothing in all of five games uh, to detract from that four points in five games on a completely unfamiliar team, having made the jump from college. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, so for those nor- not familiar with Georgi Merkulov, Youngstown Phantoms, two years, uh, first year, 33 points in uh, 36 games, second year, 40 points in 38 games. These are both, of course, uh, I believe, uh, COVID seasons. And then 21-22, Ohio State, um, 34 points in 36 games with 20 goals. Um, I hate the fact that he might be the best center in the system. I love the fact that he might be the best center in the system. Wait, but if he's playing at Ohio State, he's playing with Mason Lowry. Which might possibly be how the Bruins came across him. Mason Lowry is a defenseman. Uh, uh, He had 29 points in 31 games for uh, the Buckeyes. Yes. I just I might want to. It just it just surprised me a little because I I, I'm I'm, that's a big statement from Kirk Ludecky. That's that's what it was. Yeah. And that's the thing is it just struck me as a big statement. And I know that Kirk I know Kirk. I trust Kirk. He normally doesn't go that far out. So for him to say it, I find shocking. But I am absolutely willing to ride that bus. Uh for at least a year or two until someone proves Kirk wrong. Okay, I'll go along with that. Um, 
you notice that McKay, uh, Dryden McKay, uh, had uh, made the news, unfortunately. Dryden McKay, undra- he's, he's undrafted. He's goaltender out of Minnesota, uh, Minnesota State. Correct. Won the Hobie, won the Hobie Baker Award. <clears throat> and don't get me wrong, fabulous in what I saw is set records, NCAA records, 38 wins on the season. Uh, most shutout, it holds a record for career shutouts with 34. I mean, the talented, talented kid. Unfortunately, his season will not be starting at the beginning of next year because he has been suspended for six months. He apparently ingested a substance, which is on the banned substance list. It was in a supplement that he used, which it was not listed in the ingredients. Uh, I'm reading the article. It contains something called Osterine. Did not have the substance listed. It's yeah, a substance that the FDA has not approved as a as a treatment for anything. Um, can cause liver damage and is banned by at least two organizations, including the NCAA. Um, McKay has played four seasons at Minnesota State, so I don't know what he's going to be doing next year. I do find it curious, and this is why I'm willing to give McKay the benefit of the doubt. One, this was not his best season, even though he played the most games. As far as, like, save percentage, he had a 931, which is certainly more than acceptable. Um, but back in 1920, he played 37 games and had a 942. Um, his other seasons are 927 and 924. Mm-hmm. Um, surely he was tested at some point during those seasons. So what what bothers me about this whole story is not that he was suspended, not that he was taking Osterine, whether he whether it was listed on the ingredient, not whatever. The issue for me is that they tested him prior to they tested him because they wanted to put him on the U on the as an alternate on the Team USA hockey team going to the Olympics. Test came back on February 1st, and the USADA immediately suspended him. But the NCAA allowed him to keep playing until the end of the season, and then... They made it a meaningless suspension, really. (laughs) Because it's not... I don't believe that that's a suspension that applies to... Nobody's signing him. There, he, no, no team. This is a, clearly with his numbers. Even if this was his worst year, with his numbers and thirty-four shutouts, and I'm sorry, he's going to get a contract from somebody as oh, an undrafted. Absolutely. And now no teams are going near him. No, he he will be signed like in the off season when people are no longer paying attention. You will see it like three days after free agency starts. When 70% of the free agents have already been signed, Dryden McKay signed to T-Max on an entry-level contract. Write it in the history books right now. It's going to happen. Unless there's some NHL provision that you can't sign a suspended player until their suspension is over, in which case six months from the end of April, he'll get signed in October and immediately tossed into the AHL. 
either way, he's going to be playing next year. Mm, I can see there's, that. There's no chance he's not playing next year. I agree. They'll wait until, I don't know, July. As long as he keeps working out and keeps himself in hockey shape because that's the only worry I would have is that he's not playing. Somebody's going to work him out. I Anyway, interesting story. I just I, I think my issue was more with the NCAA than anything else just because they decided to wait until the end of the season to go, okay, now you're suspended. I think it might have to do with, you know, four years and all of a sudden he's failing a test. Uh, if he had failed before, if he had failed with his best numbers, yeah, immediately suspicious. Um, but you can't know the you can't know what's in anything you pick up or what's been contaminated. It's just not possible. Clearly, and, and that's and this is evidence of it. I mean, uh, and who was what? There was a NHL player suspended for parts per billion in his body about two years ago, and I very nearly threw up uh, when it happened. Parts per billion? Oh, my goodness. Parts per billion. We covered it on the show. Either. I'm sure we um, did, but I don't remember who it was now. Uh, I don't either. Um, That's just crazy. And, of course, uh, as Jeff Merrick noted, and you picked up on, um, women's hockey is going to expand a little bit more. The new uh, PWHPA League. Uh, we'll have six teams in the U.S. and Canada. They're going to run their schedule January to April of uh, next year, uh, 2023. 23 skaters a team, 32-game uh, schedule. Um, they're going to have a new name for the league. Uh, minimum salary, average salary. Uh, well, I should hope they'll have a new name for the league because PWHPA is the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I hope they come up with them. It's very weird the way this is set up. They 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 have teams, but the teams don't really have names. Like yes. their, their name is their whoever their sponsor is. Like Boston is. Like yeah, I mean they're they're definitely throwback names to early. Like I mean even the NHL had teams like that. Hell, the Green Bay Packers are still named after a union. They're named for the cheese Packers union. Yes. Or meat Packers union. I forget which it was. Um, yeah, uh, for think, that matter, I think right, Boston honestly, is like the Boston Bauer team or something like that. It, it's, it, yes. it's like, they, they don't have actual names. They just, the, whoever their sponsor is, is the, the team Bauer, Boston team Bauer or something like that. It, it, there is competition. I'm just wondering if, Instead of going their own, if somehow they can work it out. The only problem is that they have teams in the same place that the that the PHF has teams. Which I mean, they did all along, or the old league did. Um, I I don't know if this is good for women's hockey. Do they need? Con- I think in I think in the infancy of it, and yes, I do believe that this is still the infancy of it, with only six teams in the PHF expanding to possibly eight or whatever. I think that it's still quote unquote in its infancy. I don't know that con- that competition is good now. 
I think what they need to do now is work together and grow the sport. Absolutely. Um, we don't want the two leagues to be a cancer upon each other. Right. Um, two of the players trainers are suing the team for exposure to carcinogens from the area Zam- uh, arena Zamboni machines. Uh, this is, this is somewhat scary because every arena Every ice hockey arena in the world has these. And you know as well as I do that not only are services redone during games and during practices, but they're usually done just before the first practice uh, in the morning uh, in in a lot of arenas, which means that all of those kids and families who are there first thing in the morning – they're being exposed heavily too, not nearly as directly, uh, just given the way the gas diffuses um, as it as it spreads. But this is this is scary. Uh, it seems to it seems to the complaint seems to stem from the issue of the location of the trainer's room to the. Zamboni and the storage of the liquid drainage um, training room received liquid drainage from the Zamboni room as well as other conduits and spaces um, through which emissions and or carcinogens could access areas occupied by the, the training staff the, in this case the, the two that are suing the team. So they're saying they were unnecessarily exposed while occupying the training room because the Zambonis are right next door. And, you know, look at the list of chemicals. You don't need to know much chemistry to know that these things are really bad. Um, it, It probably is going to require teams and or at least arenas to uh, to create additional ventilation that immediately pushes all of the fumes from that particular room directly out of the building. And uh, yeah, it's definitely going to, it's definitely going to doesn't integrate with the rest of the air return in the building. It's definitely going to have NHL teams looking at uh, ownership. Uh, uh, not just NHL teams. It like, every ice hockey arena is going to have to look at this. Yeah. Uh, or at least where they're venting is for those, or for those rooms and for the, for the machines. I mean, if nothing else, this might speed the adoption of some of the, uh, electric models, um, of, uh, of Zamboni and ice cleaning machines. And, I think we've actually managed to get to every story on the board today. Yep. So, ladies and gentlemen, hockey fans of all ages, uh, the playoffs are coming, the playoffs are coming, the playoffs are coming, and we'll be here with you for them. Have a great week. Share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, random people you meet on the street. Play it loudly in the offices that you've been forced to return to or at a comfortable rate somewhere at home. Talk to you soon.